Hello everyone and welcome to the brand new podcast called Empowerment. This is the episode where we talk with Assistant Commissioner Louisa Rolfe, who leads nationally for policing on violence and public protection. I'm your co-host, I'm Helen Ball. I'm a senior police officer in the Metropolitan Police in London uh, and I've been working with a mentor who is about to introduce herself, a mentor called Farheen. Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Farheen and I have been mentoring Helen for the past six months. I'm 17 years old from East London and I strongly believe that the voices of young girls just like myself can be heard and we shall create a change. And that's why I've been, I've had the, I've had the hugest privilege to actually mentor um, a senior assistant commissioner of the Met Police and it's been a great journey. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful to be mentoring um, Helen um, and this is why we bring to you our podcast Empowerment. You're very kind Farheen, it's uh, been a great journey for me as well and I'm learning a huge amount. We were matched through the Girls Network uh, which uh, we described on, our, uh, on an earlier episode of this podcast um, but if you're interested, and you should be interested in the Girls Network, do please go on the website and have a look. It's a fantastic organisation. Um, we have with us here today my colleague, uh, Louisa Rolf, who's another Assistant Commissioner in the Met, uh, and she's going to help us with our conversation today in this episode. Um, Louisa, would you like to introduce yourself? So, hi, I'm Louisa. Thank you so much for letting me join in today. It's a real privilege to get to join in your podcast. Thank you. Um, Louisa, just tell us a little bit about your background in, in policing. So I've been in policing for um, nearly 30 years now, a very long time, but I, I started my career in Bristol, in Avon and Somerset, um, really enjoyed all my roles in policing, um, but very proud of my work as a detective. Um, I left Avon and Somerset in 2016 as a an assistant uh, chief constable and went to the West Midlands and worked in Birmingham and across the West Midlands for nearly five years before joining the Met last year. Mm. And I think you're leading uh, for the country, aren't you, in, um, in respect of violence against women and girls? Yes, so um, I've been the National Police Chiefs Council lead for domestic abuse since 2014 and um, more recently took on a role um, coordinating a number of National Police Chiefs Council portfolios dealing with violence and public protection. Thank you so much. Um, before we start discussing the questions that we wanted to discuss, um, Farheen and I always open our sessions with the discussion of an inspirational quote. Uh, and today I've chosen the quote, um, and the quote is, and so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. And this quote comes from the a fantastic poem that was read at President Biden's inauguration. Uh, the poem's called The Hill We Climb, and it was read by Amanda Gorman, who wrote the poem. And I'll just repeat it so that we can really hear it. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. Um, Farheen, is there anything you'd like to say about that quote? I think this quote is kind of making a picture of um, how you can change as a person and how you have a lot to bring um, and also how you ha you definitely have a lot within you but it definitely takes time 
to settle things through um, and to work on yourself and mm. to actually know um, that there are many opportunities out there for you and you can definitely change as a person. Mm. And Louisa, what do you think um, this quote suggested you? So for me, it, it made me think of how when we work together to deal with challenges ahead of us and, and we stop, you know, often we focus together on a task or a challenge, we stop focus, focusing on our differences mm -hmm. and think about how together we can be stronger or together we can achieve more than we might as individuals. Yeah, totally agree. I, I won't add anything to that. I think it's a wonderful quote and I agree mm. with what you've mm. both said. Absolutely. Mm. Um, I'll just bring it to you and the aim of this podcast is to discover the questions that me, myself and Helen have looked into. So I'll just ask you this question, Louisa. Um, why don't young men talk about being victims of domestic violence? So I think there are a number of reasons. Um, I think you know, domestic abuse, from all of the research and, and all of our experience in policing, but that of academics as well who, who really look into it, domestic abuse is, is about power and control. Um, it's not it's not a gender neutral crime and, and many of us often think of women as victims of domestic abuse but it's it's often linked with views on traditional roles of, of men and women in society men seen as powerful women seen as sometimes subservient or of less value or less important and I think that you know, for for young men um, being seen as a victim is, is somewhat incompatible with, with being mm -hmm. a man, mm -hmm. and I think therefore can be really, really hard for them. But, but I think, um, you know, and we know from our experience in policing that many victims, all victims of domestic abuse, will tend to either minimise what's happened to them, um, or um, not consider that their experience is serious enough to report it to police, and you know, the, the data absolutely bears that out. So um, the Crime Survey England and Wales, which is the, the way that um, the Office for National Statistics try and assess, not just from what's recorded by police, but they survey the public as to their experience of crime. And um, their, their most recent data on domestic abuse suggests that um, in, in England and Wales there were 1.6 million women who were victims of domestic abuse but also over 700,000 men were victims of domestic abuse. Yet when it comes to reporting to police, nearly three times as many women report domestic abuse as men. So we know men are less likely to report their experiences. So, um, and I think that, you know, if I had a message for any young man going through this, um, I think speaking out about what you're going through and seeking help is a way of getting back that control. Um, and certainly, we, you know, we work with some brilliant charities who support male victims like Mankind or Respect. Um, and I think it's, you know, we, whilst I know um, our response to domestic abuse is not perfect in policing and there's always more we can do to improve, I think there's a lot we can do to help victims. Absolutely. You're very right in saying that. And actually, there is definitely that dark figure behind the statistics of men being victims. Um, and there are many different reasons for why men don't come forward. Mm. And it's that question of masculinity again, mm. um, that you know it, it holds back men and 
they don't go out to seek support um, but you know we really want to ch create a change for mm. these young men and hopefully we can get them to go out there and seek help and support because as you as you said it's not only women who can be victims it's men as well yeah we were concerned when we did some research to see that for half of the male victims, um, they reported embarrassment as being a reason why they don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I would just sort of imagined the pain that someone must be feeling if they are actually embarrassed to come forward. One of the things Farheen and I really want to do through these podcasts is to just reduce that stigma. Mm -hmm. um, have, have you done anything that, in you know, in with all of your contacts and the organisations you've been working with that has helped to reduce that stigma do you think? So I think there's some brilliant charities who work in this mm. space who will do an awful lot to enable victims to, to feel a sense of power and control themselves back mm. over their lives because I think abusers of domestic abuse will absolutely play upon people's greatest fears so they will often persuade their victim that nobody will believe them, mm. that they should be embarrassed, that this is a sign of weakness and therefore, you know, people who professionals who support victims all the time can give you strategies for coping with those feelings and helping people recognise that they're not alone, that they shouldn't feel embarrassed, that actually what is happening to them is really serious, mm. that it will be taken seriously, and there is no shame in coming forward as a victim. And in fact, um, you know, we want to, and a lot of the training we do with police officers is about, um, you know, empathy with victims and understanding victims experiences so um, if victims come forward to police officers I would like to think that police officers will you know take away some of that embarrassment and help people understand that their, their feelings are very real and valid and their experience is is absolutely valid and needs to be taken very seriously mm -hmm. by us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely and I've realised how emotions should be you know validated and especially for men and as a young person I've seen a lot has been put into place for young men um, for example men's mental health month like creating awareness for that is mm. a great example to mm. just see how we should sometimes look towards men because you know society has this norm of men being so tough and masculine and just to hold their emotions and not you know not uh, and should just keep themselves to themselves and not express themselves as um, as a way of seeking help and support, but I think there has been a lot that has been put into place to help the lives of these young men. Mm. You've mentioned, mentioned Mankind and Respect um, as being organisations which will support male victims of mm. uh, domestic violence, and I know that they uh, run helplines and so on. Mm -hmm. um, do you think, though, that the fact that so much of this seems to be viewed as being a problem that really affects women mm -hmm. and so many organisations that are really well known are women only organisations mm -hmm. do you think that might be part of a, a problem about people coming forward? I think that's a really good question I think yeah, it is important because and recognising that um, you know, it isn't a gender neutral crime that if you look at the violence suffered by men and women in society um, more than half the violence suffered by women is domestic abuse. Only 23% of the violence suffered by men 
police domestic abuse, and that's, that's from the crime survey, so not just police data. Um, I think the, the challenge here is for many women victims of domestic abuse, their experience is so inextricably linked with their status as a woman, others' perceptions of their experience as a woman, that it is important we have safe spaces for women and that they feel that, that the support is tailored to their needs. However, it's also incredibly important that there is support for male victims and recognising that, and, and many of those charities, their work will support all victims and mm. their work, you know, their lobbying of government, their, you know, securing funding will often improve the experience for all victims and particularly their challenge of policing is, um, and whilst, you know, some will be very feminist in their approach, it's with, you know, the very best of intentions and does not exclude men. So, for example, Refuge, who run the National Domestic Abuse Helpline, mm. their services will support men as well, but they're not, you know, if a male victim of domestic abuse calls the helpline, he will absolutely get the help. Um, it won't be a no, this is a, a women-only um, service. Mm. I think, um, yes, there's a lot of debate at the moment about you know, women-only spaces um, and provision of services for women-only but also I think it's incredibly important because my view in this is that anything that improves both our policing response but services will support all victims. But it's, but it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's, mm. you know, every victim has different needs. We've got to, and we've got to recognise particularly that for men, um, as you, you've rightly identified, that often this is linked with, you know, it's that the status of being a victim can be incompatible with the perceptions of how they feel they should be perceived in terms of being masculine um, and not showing a vulnerability and that mm. we've got to be alive to that and you know help people um, feel that you know it, it doesn't undermine their masculinity by coming forward as a victim if, if anything we can help them take back control and feel that things are back in control for them that's really great really interesting and you've said quite a lot about what can be done to change the, the way things are. Is there anything else you'd like to add about what could be done to change? Um, I think, in, uh, I think the, the greatest challenge for, for much of this, and of course there are many things that we want to do to continue to improve the police response and you know, working with others like the Crown Prosecution Service to ensure that you know, every victim has the best opportunity for justice for them and that we manage perpetrators effectively. I think, you know, for me, the things that will be the game changer here will be, you know, really well-funded perpetrator programmes, things that are proven to make a difference because um, they have been shown to be effective but we know there just aren't enough options out there. Some great opportunities with the new probation service being reformed and focusing on perpetrator programmes that tackle abuse. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, a recognition from us all that, you know, for some perpetrators, a prosecution is absolutely the only answer. You know, there are some perpetrators that are so dangerous that the, the answer is that we pursue them and they receive a custodial sentence. But there are many where the right intervention, and often we know for both victims and perpetrators, they, they might have many multiple challenges and, and often there's a close connection with mental ill health, with um, addictions to drug and alcohol and many other vulnerabilities that, you know, with the right support, victims can feel empowered and, and able to, you know, 
get away from an abusive relationship, but also perpetrators can change their behaviour. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, investment and funding for those services that are proven to work and with all the safeguards around them, you know, there, there's a lot of research about, you know, safe programmes that are not a tick box, box exercise. They, they are proven to, in, you know, address offending behaviour and keep victims safe. I think that, and you know, the other thing, which is is common in all of this work, is is working effectively together. So, yes. um, a public health approach that's focused on, you know, um, all agencies understanding their core role, but also working together to share information effectively and and support victims, but secure justice for them too. Brilliant. There's lots to think about there, isn't there? And and actually, a lot of optimism, I think, and hope for for change. Thank you so much, Louisa. Yes, and we really hope you enjoyed this episode of Empowerment. And always remember that we want to create a change for the young lives of men. So stay tuned for more episodes on Empowerment with myself, Fahim, and my mentee, Helen.